thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. You, um, you, ever, you ever watch Family Feud? All right, TV show? All right, so the purpose of Family Feud, right? We know the whole purpose of Family Feud. It's, it's supposed to be families, two different families, and they would war against each other. They're trying to like guess popular... Like, so there's a survey and they would guess the results, the top results of a survey of people on whatever topic it is. And it got to the point where it wasn't just families, it was people that would collect themselves as a family. So, for example, uh, pro baseball players could, could be one side and they would be a family. And then pro football players on another side or any other professional sport you want to think of or whatever. And it's always fun to watch. I kind of feel like this morning, just for these first few minutes, it's going to be kind of like Family Feud. I want to give away some prizes. Uh, I've got a survey for you. So I've got, we're going to be giving these out, by the way. I've had these for like a month or so. And so we're going to give these out at the park in a couple Saturdays, right? In a couple Saturdays. So we're going to give these away, and so it'll be fun. But I want to, and then I've got a new book from Ben Stewart called Rest and War. And so one lucky person may get that one today. But here is your... Here is the topic, and I would love for you to just, you can just shout it out, okay? In 2021, what year is this, 2023? In 2021, so they just published this report because it was collated and they they figured it all out. What was one of the top nine crimes in America in 2021? I have them all listed out on my paper, so I know the answers. There was, and it wasn't like a survey of like what people think. Like this is actual criminal statistics from the United States of America. Like this is actually, don't look it up. This is actually, <laughs> actual top nine, just, just go on. And if you get one of these nine, I'm going to give you, and if you get the top one, I'll give you the book. But top nine, just say, hey, uh, I think one of the biggest, most prevalent crimes in America was, what do you think? Huh? Shooting. Let's see, shooting and guns. Survey says, um, we will say assault is number four. So you don't need it, you don't need it, thanks. That's, all right, so I'm not gonna throw that out. All right, so we'll say assault, all right? All right, who said, what'd you say? Did you say murder? No, he said murder. You said murder? And you said what? <laughs> I wanna hear you. <laughs> <laughs> burglary. All right, survey says burglary. <laughs> burglary is is number five. There we go. And now, and what did you say? Uh, no, I was trying to say it for her. Okay. All right. Did you say murder? Did you say murder? Who said murder? You said murder. 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 Murder is number nine. That will be perfect. You can get it later. <laughs> murder was murder was number nine on the list. Isn't that weird? Yeah, like one in every ten crops is like being killed. Like New Orleans, you would think like you'd think like the biggest thing was murder, but in all of America, carjacking. Carjacking is number number five. Identity theft is not on the top nine. Isn't that weird? <laughs> you'd get the X. I'm so sorry. All right, so let me read them off to you. Let, let me read them off to you. Robbery was number eight. Number eight. Number seven was sexual offense. Number six was car theft. Number five was burglary. Number four was assault. Number three was 
I can't read my own handwriting. I want to say it's violence, but violence isn't. Number two, number, number two was larceny. And number one is property damage. And that includes, that includes breaking people's stuff on their property or, and or um, actually stealing from them without force or coercion. So like, well, so burglary, they consider burglary different from, get this, for those of you that are ever worried about getting murdered, you are 428, I, I looked this up, I'm like, how do you do this statistic? Because I didn't do very well in math in college. I did great in math in high school. College math is way different. So I said, how do you figure out statistics? And so, oh, I need to take a statistics course. Remind me to sign that up. Four, you are 428% more likely to have something stolen from your property or destroyed on your property without coercion than you are to be murdered. All right? <laughs> In all of America last year, there were 15,000 murders. And there was... 6.5 million cases of property damage or theft. That's a lot. That's a lot. If you think about all the Americans that are out there stealing stuff. So, I mean, there's robbery, there's car theft, there's larceny, and then there was property theft and burglary. So there was like five of the top nine were related to theft of some sort. Why? Because people want more stuff. Like we want more stuff. We do. Like, we want more stuff. I want you to flip with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, because that's where we'll be. But people, like, we want more stuff. I, I don't know what it is. Like, we just can't. I mean, the Rolling Stones, they're terrible. But, like, they, they had it right. Like, we can't get any satisfaction. Like, we want more and more and more. Like, no, 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 that's not me. It reminds me, like, when I was at my last church, there was a leader that came up to me one time. I have no clue why they came up to me. I'm not a priest. I can't absolve them of their sins. But they came up to me and they said, hey, which priest can't either. But anyway, like they came up to me and they said, hey, I've never tithed at this church. And they'd been there for years and they'd been a leader for a couple of years. And like my jaw, I'm sure they saw my jaw drop and hit the floor. I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, I've got student loans I've got to pay off. And I'm thinking, huh, okay. Well, what do you think about that? And like, well, I'm getting pretty close to paying off my student loans. I'm like, and then what? I don't know. We'll find out what's next. Like, we do that all the time. I mean, I want to just tell you, I'm going to take my student loans to my grave. If you ever wondered, like, hey, what are you going to do with yours? I'm taking them to my grave. <laughs> I will defer them out until, like, 2043 when the meteor hits the earth. Is that what CNN said yesterday? Whatever, same thing. Maybe it's different. I mean, and it, and it might not be that. Maybe you tithe, maybe whatever. But like, it's people that, like when you go to a place, like a restaurant, and you're like, you don't tip. Now I went to Subway last night, and, and I'm not going to tip them for making my sandwich. Like, that's your job. And I sound like a terrible person. Y'all remember back 10 years ago when like Subway was the debate? Uh, not Subway, Sonic was the debate. Like, do we tip someone for bringing our drinks? And now it's like, when I grew up, it was 10% tip. Now it's up to like 20 or 25%. But some of us are like, ah, I'm going to keep that extra little, little bit. I'm just going to give them like 10 or 15. You did a good job. I'm going to give you 15. Or maybe there's some people that like, we hold back on our taxes. Like we don't report certain things. Or maybe, maybe it's 
we work two to three jobs. Like I know I work a couple jobs. We have side hustles. Maybe, maybe it's not any of that. Maybe it's like, I'm just going to work more hours because if I work more hours, I get more money. I want more stuff. I want, there it is. I want more stuff. I want more things. It reminds me of the notorious B.I.G. Do you remember him back in the 90s? R.I.P. He said, the more money we come across, the more problems we see. And that's exactly what Solomon, or that's exactly what the teacher in Ecclesiastes 5 tells us about. Now, I just want to remind you, if you've been tracked along, like he's been doing this really big experiment. He's like, I've literally observed everything underneath the sun, everything under existence that I can visually, verbally, auditorially, everything I can touch, everything, everything I can measure, I've measured it. Everything, I've done an experiment and everything is meaningless without God. He's like, everything's meaningless. And, and now we get into, so last week was worship, and now he's like, let me switch from worship to money because they're kind of tied in a way. So let me talk to you about your money, your stuff. That's where we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through chapter 6, verse 9. Now the reason why I tell you that, and I wish I could draw it on the screen for you, and I've talked to you about this before, and it was in my mind, I'm like, how do I explain this to, to you? Because it's really boring English stuff, but it really sets up, that was my son. It really sets up why, how to study scripture better. In the Old Testament, there's lots of different ways to write things, right? Um, think about poems for a second. Uh, there's limericks, there's, there's haikus, there's structures to the way things are written, you know what I mean? There's structures the way you write a letter. There's an introduction, there's the body, there's the conclusion, right? And, and so there's ways to read something so that way you understand the meat of it. In the Old Testament, the way they would write, especially in the wisdom literature, is there's a, is a, there's a, a way of writing called a chiasm. C-H-I-A-I-S-M, chiasm. Or C-H-I-A-S-M. A chiasm is A-B-B-A. Does that make sense? So you take a chunk of scripture, the first thing matches the last thing, and then the two middle things kind of pop up. Or A, B, C, C, B, A. Okay? So in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8, through Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, the writer of this, the teacher, it was writing it in such a way, as like, I really want to point out and emphasize these four points. And so you can write these down. It's A which is chapter 5, I wrote this in my Bible, chapter 5, verses 8 through 12. And it says a very similar thing in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And so I'll have these on the screen in a moment. And then B would be 5, 13 through 17, and 6, 3 through 6. C, 5, 18 to 19, and then 6, 1 to 2. So it's going forward if you're in chapter 5, and it's going backward in chapter 6. And then he's like, but the whole point of it all is D, which is chapter 5, verse 20. And we're going to get into all those in just a moment. But it's a chiasm, and I want us to look at it. I want us to look at A and A, and then B and B, and then C and C, and then D. So A, it's chapter 5, verses 8 through 12, and then chapter 6, 7 through 9. It says, let me read you verses 8 and 9 real quick. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness, in the province. He's like, don't be astonished, don't be alarmed at the situation because one official protects another official. We've seen that, right? And higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. So 
it, corruption exists. And when we have corruption, we have oppression every time. Every time oppression exists because of corruption. You see that in verses 8 and 9. And then we get into verse 10. It says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. This too is worthless. This is a vapor. You can see it, but you can't touch it. It just goes away. So A is loving stuff leaves us longing for more. When we love stuff, we want more. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. Like, when I was growing up, there were Reese cups. And you could, you, you could get two in a pack. Or you could get one in a pack. But now that we've grown a little bit, they have, what, king size? And now you can get four in a pack. And you're like, oh. Okay. Or you can get two for 222 at certain places. And you're like, I can get two king sizes for 222. This is fantastic. Now I can get like double king size. I was at Arby's the other day and I said, I would like the smallest French fry that you've got. And they said, okay, a small. No, I want the snack size. I want the smallest you have. It's like, all right, so the small. No, I absolutely want just the values. Like even we've redefined what small, medium, and large look like. When we love stuff, we want more stuff. We long for more stuff. We long for more money. We long for more time. We long for more whatever it is. And so here in verse 10, it says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. If you love money, you'll never have enough. In verse 6 and 7, uh, or chapter 6, verse 7, it says, all of a person's labor is for his stomach. And yet, and it's the same words here, the, the appetite is never satisfied. We are never satisfied. If we long for stuff, we will never be satisfied. Something is missing and it is not more stuff. Hey, have you ever heard of the, the Prater-Ville syndrome? You ever heard of that? Prater-Ville syndrome? I, I knew a kid once that had this. It's, it's where like they're always hungry. Well, there's a lot of different things, but one of the major characteristics of Prater-Ville syndrome is that they're always hungry. They're never satisfied. And so I remember like we brought, like we had a youth trip. This has like been 20 years ago. Had a youth trip and the parents like, hey, by the way, we have, my son has Prater-Ville syndrome. You need to watch for him. Here's some things to watch out for. And so like, I remember we went to a motel and like it had one of those continental buffets, continental breakfast. And so it's just muffins everywhere. And like homeboy, like we just kept putting muffins like in his in his hoodie, he just kept hiding them because he was just going to eat them the, the whole day. They're never satisfied. Why does that even exist? Because it's chromosome number 15 in your body. Now, chromosome number 15, I don't know what it does, but for whatever reason, it deals with your hypothalamus. And so your hypothalamus tells you, hey, you're done. You're done. Trust me, you're done. But people with this, it doesn't work. And it could be because it says, science says that maybe, maybe two copies of this chromosome came from your dad instead of just one like usually you get one from mom one from dad maybe you got two from dad maybe you got none from dad or maybe it's just corrupted for whatever reason it's not genetic but it's corrupted something's missing and so you want more and i know that's the same with us so like i looked up I'm like what about when we're hungry like what if we're just hungry all the time and we don't have this it says that maybe you lack protein or fiber or fat so like if you're always hungry, you're like, huh, I probably need more protein. I'm just going to go eat another bag of chips. No, that's not protein. So I'm going to eat those king-size Reese's that I got. I'm still hungry. By the way, I learned that your stomach will expand to let more sugar in. 
I didn't know that. That's why, anyway, it doesn't matter. Something is missing physically when we want more. And spiritually and emotionally, something is missing when we want more. And you see that there, the appetite is never satisfied. Or our money stuff is never satisfied. So let's look at verses 11 and 12. So when good, three, good things increase, the one who consumes them, the ones, I love that, it's plural, the ones who consume them multiply. Meaning like more people are going to come after your stuff. They're like, oh, you got a king-size Reese. Can I have one? If you have kids near you, that's usually what happens. They're like, huh, can I have a sip? Can I have some? Can I have, if you have friends and they all of a sudden realize like you're driving a, I don't know, a Hummer. We'll just say Hummer or Tesla. And they're like, oh, can, can I have a ride? Can I have it? You must have money or whatever. And that might not be the case. But the ones who consume them, they multiply. There's more and more and more. And then what then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at these people with his eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he work, eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. I love it because there's two different Proverbs in these two verses. One proverb in verse 11, one proverb in verse 12. Stuff makes life difficult because others want your stuff and or it might keep you awake at night because now you're starting to wonder, you're starting to worry, you're starting to think, oh man, what if this person, what do they really want? Why are they wanting to be my friend? Why are they? And you start to wonder like what's going on in your life. Verses six, uh, chapter six, verses eight and nine, very similar. It says, what advantage then does the wise person have over, over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. A lack of contentment yields, like it brings a wandering desire. Like when we're not satisfied, we want more. We're like, man, I want another house. I want another car. I want another this. I want another that. It's really why God says, thou shalt not covet. And yet that's why five of the top nine crimes in America in 2021, and the statistics don't change too much each year, but that's why five out of the nine all relate to covet, covetousness, like wanting someone else's stuff. Loving stuff leaves us longing for more. Well, James, what's the answer? I'm going to get to that in a minute. So A is loving stuff leaves us longing for more. B, more stuff doesn't make us rich. It makes us sick. Loving uh, more stuff makes us sick. You see, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, it says, This is a sickening tragedy I've seen under the sun. Wealth kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture, so when he fathered a son, guess what? He had nothing to show for it. And as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again naked as he came. He will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. It's a sickening tragedy. And you actually see that in chapter 6, verse 2. At the very end, it's like this is a sickening tragedy. Verse 15. Take a look. As he comes from the mother's womb, so he will go again naked as he came. He will carry nothing for his efforts. You can't take it with you. Like you've heard the whole thing. Like you, you, you don't ever see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Although I have seen a picture of one. But like you normally don't see hearses with U-Hauls behind them. You can't take your stuff with you. That's why in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of our treasures. He talks about storing up for our, our treasures for ourselves. So is it, he says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. St 
storing up our treasures on earth. And we read this scripture from Matthew earlier, like, um, like moth destroys it and rust destroy it. Like if we keep just amassing more and more and more, not doing anything with it, like it's just going to go to ruin. And it could be money. It could be time. Like James, I've streamlined my life in such a way that I have all the time and I can just go lay out by the pool and I can just go hang out and play golf for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I don't have to do anything with anybody because I've, I'm, I'm, I've managed my time in my life in such a way that I don't have to do anything. Or it could be your money, or it could be your relational or your social equity with people. James, I've, I've worked my soul in such a way that I'm so good with social skills that, I mean, anybody likes me. And nobody hates me, and it's fantastic. Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth. He says, store up your treasures in heaven. It's like we've got to change our mindset and look heavenward. Here's your first application. I want you, I want us, as a people here at C112, I want us to be open-handed with whatever God gives us. I want us to be open-handed with our time, open-handed with our money, open-handed with, with our, 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 our souls, our, our emotions. Be open-handed. Man, that's scary. If you're like, ah, how do I? I've been hurt in the past. I had someone this last week, they're like, hey, we need to go do lunch together. And like immediately my anxiety shot up because I've had some bad lunch experiences with people. And I'm like, oh, I want to tell you, like, there's a study, if you have Right Now Media, I'd love to get you an account if you don't. It's free. It's a gift from us to you. But uh, there's a study for about five or six weeks on friendship, like how to be better at friends. And, and I know I need that. So being closed-handed isn't good. I, I have this nurse that I work with. I, I, was, I was at a patient's house, and I was hanging out with them for a little bit. And they have heart issues. And they're like, man, I just took a, another nitro. I'm like, oh, that's a big deal. And they said, yeah. Um, I, I want to tell you about this nurse. I said, okay, tell me about your nurse. And she's like, it was so cool. The other day I was having an episode with my heart and I needed some medicine. And so she says, hey, I'm, I'm going to order it for you at the pharmacy. It'll be ready in an hour or so. I've got a couple more patients. I'll pick it up and I'll bring it back. She said, but she saw how bad I, off I was. And normally if you're not on hospice, normally you, you have to, they tell you go to the hospital. Like, is that rain? Wow. Normally, when you go to the hospital, like they'll say, hey, you got to go to the hospital and, 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 and they'll, they'll hook you up the heart stuff and fix it right there. She said, but what the nurse ended up doing is she said, you know what? I see what's going on here. I'm going to go get your medicine right now and I'll bring it back. And the lady's like, oh, cool. Then you'll go see your patients. The nurse sat there for two more hours standing, watching her and making sure that everything kind of calmed down. Like, that's not necessarily in our job. But she did that. She sat there or stood there for two hours. I have trouble standing for, for 30 minutes. But like she did that for two hours. She was open-handed with her time. And so whatever it is in the application here, looking at it, as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked he came, he'll take nothing for the efforts that he can carry in his hands. We need to be open-handed with our time, or our money, or our relational equity, whatever it is that God's given to you. And we all have different things that God gives to us. We need to be open-handed with it. Verse 16 and 17 says, This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the one gain who struggles for the wind? Well, and what is more, he eats in darkness all his days and with much frustration, sickness, and anger. And it's very similar to verses, chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, it says, A man, a man may father a hundred children and live a long time. No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things, 
doesn't have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn is better off than he. For he comes in futility, and he goes in darkness, and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. And if a person lives a thousand years two times, but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place? The idea here is that you work for the wind when you work just for profit. You work for the wind when you work just for profit. Like, I just want stuff. I want more money. I want more time. I want more house. I want more people. I want more friends. I want more whatever. You are working for vapor. You are working for the wind. Chapter 1, verse 3. Very similar word in here. He says, What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? It's all meaningless. It's a vapor. You can't even touch it. You can't take it with you. All you can do is share it. Which is why this whole thing started in chapter 5, verse 8, when it says, you see the oppression of the poor. There's over 2,000 verses in Scripture about the poor. Over 2,000. God's way of living cares a lot about people who are poor, people that are oppressed, people that don't have anything. That's why James says, the half-brother of Jesus, he says in James chapter 2, he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? goes along with what the author said in Ecclesiastes here. It's like, uh, you know, poor guy could, can sleep better. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he's, he's in the synagogue and he's reading. He, they, the scroll reading for that day was out of the book of Isaiah. So Jesus is reading out of the book of Isaiah. And listen to what he, he reads. He says, he has anointed me to proclaim proclaim good news to the poor. Like when Jesus is in the synagogue, and this is the first writing of Jesus in the synagogue, like he says, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We must be open-handed with our stuff, with our time, with our tips, and with our tithe. We've got to be open-handed with all of our stuff. Use what you have for God's glory. So, A, is loving stuff leads us longing for more. B, is more stuff doesn't make us rich, it makes us sick. And C, is God gives us good and we make it bad. Chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, here's what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. And furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has allowed him to enjoy them. Take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift from God. The opposite of that is in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So here's a tragedy I have observed under the sun. So that was the good. Well, here's the bad. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile in a sickening tragedy. So in verses 18 and 19, I love it. Verse 18 and 19, the word God is used three times. You can look at it on the screen. God, God, and God. Three different times. The point of the whole thing is God. And I think the, the teacher, the Solomon here, I think he's, as he's been writing this entire book, and we've, we've, we've said this every week, is that the whole point, you can't enjoy anything without God in your life. You can't. And it's not just God, like there's a God in heaven and, and he's a cool guy. 
or whatever, but it's like God through Jesus Christ. Like we've got to have Jesus. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, James tells us. God is good. He is benevolent. We sang about that. There's scriptures about that. Like that is God's nature for us is that he is good so we can trust him. Some of our issues with God, I think, are trust issues. We don't believe God is good, so we don't trust Him. God, I don't think that you can be good for me. I don't think that you can, you can meet this, this need for me. I want to tell you that I've seen the good in my life. So, here's another application. I want you to think about the good things in your life. This could be like done over lunchtime. This could be you sitting down with your phone, making, making a running list if, you, if you're a list person and you have to. But think about the good things in your life. I imagine, just imagine your 16-year-old self looking at you today. My 16-year-old self, like I, I, I had two bills that I, I, could pay, I paid part of. Do you remember when you were 16? Like I had two bills that I could pay part of. My parents were like, hey, I know you don't make a lot of money. I made $5.15 an hour at a mall job. $5.15 an hour. I could barely pay two bills, my gas, and then like blow money on Taco Bell and, and uh, movies. I didn't have enough money. I, I, I didn't even have a girlfriend. I, I dreamt of one. I'm like, oh, it'd be so great. I could spend my $5.15 that I worked this hour. I could like buy her a smoothie from Dairy Queen, right? Actually, I can't splurge, so she can just get like the ice cream dipped. <laughs> like, like I, I was just dreaming. Uh, I could never imagine like now here it is, I'm 41 and I've got a wife and I've got kids and I've got a house and it's not, I mean, like God's blessed us. Back then I had a car that I couldn't really pay for, but now we have like two vehicles, one of them that we still pay for. But like, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine those things. Couldn't imagine like, oh, I'd have like a phone that's like a computer, like that would be a million dollars. I was lucky to have a, des a used desktop when I was 16 years old. And it wasn't mine, it was my, my, my family's. I didn't get my own until I went to college. You remember back in the day, like kids would go to college and like, we're gonna get you a computer. You're like, yes. Like, well, it was like 200 bucks. Like, hey, it's fine. It's a computer. Be, be aware of all the good that God has brought into your life. For some of us, like, man, I had one friend in high school, or I had no friends in high school. Maybe now, like a few years removed, like now we've got like two friends or three friends. Or we've got some people that we can call on, like, hey, I'm having a bad day. I need someone to hang out with, or I need someone to just listen to me. I need someone to text, or send me goofy memes. Like, where we are today versus where we were, God has shown his goodness and faithfulness to us. So let's think about those things. Verse 19, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, to take this reward and rejoice in his labor. God allows us to rejoice in, and enjoy what he gives us. I want to I be very clear in case I haven't already. It is not bad to have stuff. It is not bad to have a lot of friends. It is not bad to have a lot of money. It's not bad to have a lot of whatever. It is, it's not bad to have a lot of Reese cups. Now, if you eat them all, yes. If you spend all of your money, yes. If you spend all of your relational equity, yes, you get the idea. But to have these things is not a bad thing. God gives us stuff to enjoy. I know friends that are millionaires and they've, but it's not a bad thing because they, they can be open-handed with it, what they have. I know people that have lots and lots of time, and it's not bad if they have lots of time as long as they're using it for God's glory. We have to steward it for God's glory. So verses one through two though, it's like, well, what about the, like I thought you said, 
we make stuff bad. Well, we do. I mean, the text says that God gives, take a look at that, God gives a person riches, and then it says God does not allow him to enjoy them. It's a very similar sentence structure to verse 19. If you look back at verse 19, it's very similar. It says that God has given him this good stuff. God has given riches and he has allowed him to enjoy. God has given riches and does not, verse, verse 2, does not allow him to have fun with it, does not allow him to enjoy it. What's the point? Number one, God is sovereign, but he knows what's best for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God knows all the good that he's planned for those who are in him. And he's got good for us. But number two, there's no good apart from God. Like even in verse two here, it uses the, it uses the word God. The author uses the word God two different times. The point is God. The whole passage in all of life is more about God and less about us. So, D. We did A, B, C, and now D. Chapter 5, verse 20. It's the middle of the chiasm. It, it, the point, this is the point that the teacher is making. God occupies us with joy more than stuff. God occupies us with joy more than stuff. Look at it. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. This guy doesn't worry about the days of his life. These are the days. Like he doesn't worry about any of this stuff. He doesn't worry about his money. He doesn't worry about time. He doesn't worry about relational equity because he's enjoying what God has given to him. God occupies his heart. He's like, I'm going I'm to keep you busy. Jesus in the New Testament, he, he wants us to receive him with joy, to share in our master's joy. It says it over and over and over again. Jesus wants our joy complete. Paul says it this way. He says in Romans, he says, the kingdom of God isn't about eating or drinking, but righteousness or living the right kind of way, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about food or drink. That's what Gentile people do, people that don't know God. That's what they do. They worry about stuff. He says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his way of living in all of these things. Everyone say all. There we go. All? All of these things will be added to you. God occupies us with joy. He gives us joy. Literally, it means he's, he's, we're troubled about this joy. We, he keeps us busy with this joy. When our eyes are on Jesus, we will be preoccupied with this joy that serving stuff doesn't matter, you know, where it won't matter. Jesus said, and we read this earlier, that you can't serve two masters. You can, you'll either serve the one and hate the other or serve the one and neglect the other. Like, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both. Our God-given joy will direct our lives. So let me ask you this question as we close. What would happen if we change how we view our stuff, the way, the stuff that God's given to us? What would happen if like, we would change that? Like if we looked to Jesus first with, with money, when we're out to eat at a restaurant, if, or when we're, when we're looking at bills, or we're looking at tithe, or we're looking at our time, what would happen if we changed all this together? With our friends, with our family, how would our lives look different? Jesus, thank you for today and for these moments together. God, may we see that you occupy us with joy, with all the stuff that you've given to us, whether it's much or whether it's little. God, you've, you occupy our hearts with joy when we put our eyes on you. And we're to yield that, to use that, to op be open-handed and rich towards others. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.